Go ahead and make your way to the Gospel of John chapter 13. We're going to be looking at the end of the uh, chapter 13 today as we continue through the series in the Gospel of John, Believe and Live. John told us in his book, this is why he wrote all of these things. Everything that we read and we study each week is that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ and that believing in him we would have life and life everlasting. So let me just say, if you are a guest here, we're glad that you're here. We hope that you'll stick six with us, stick six weeks, get to know us as a church, let us get to know you a little bit better, hear our vision and where God is leading us, and uh, see if this is where you want to be a part of, where God is leading you to serve him for his glory and his kingdom. We as a church over this last year, we've been praying Psalm 67, right? Praying as a church that God would be gracious to us, that he would bless us, that his face would shine upon us, not for our name's sake. But Psalm 67 says that his way and his name would be known in all the earth. And so I say that today to remind you to continue to pray that. But at the same time, the next two weeks are very important weeks because it's going to show us answers to our prayers. Uh, the next two weeks, we're looking at our, our neighborhoods to nations, this vision that God has called us to both Love and, and glorify him both here in our neighborhoods, but also in the nations around the world. So we're going to see a preview of that today as we, we talk about how we reach our neighborhoods through love today. But then next Sunday, we're going to have all our domestic um, ministry partners that we support in our city here with us. You're going to get to talk to them and hear what God is doing across our city. We're going to have Chris Simning here preaching, which is a, a local missionary that we support that has an amazing story that he'll share with you next week. But he preaches all over North America and shares the gospel faithfully. And he's going to be here this week or next week sharing the gospel faithfully with us. So next Sunday we're looking at neighborhoods. And then the week after that, the first week of October, that weekend is a big weekend. It's our missions focus weekend. So on Saturday we're going to have a whole international festival. We're going to have international foods where we sit down and we eat and we share a meal together as a church that Saturday night. And we're going to get to hear from a specific speaker that night and hear from some of our missionaries. Sunday morning, uh, we're going to open up Psalm 67. We're going to unpack that, what we've been praying as a church. And then that night, we're going to gather together to hear from some of our missionaries around the world. And so if you've been praying that prayer with us, Psalm 67, you're like, God, how have you been answering this prayer? You're going to hear over the next couple of weeks. So mark your calendar. Make sure to be there because these are important Sundays for us as a church as we pursue glorifying God by making more and better disciples from neighborhoods to nations. So I'm excited about it. I'm excited about what's coming in the next couple weeks, but I'm excited today as we dive into John 13. But before we go to God's word, let's pause and let's pray to the one who gave us this word. Father, we pray this morning, thanking you for what you have done through this church, West Cabarrus. And we just pray for more of your grace and more of your blessing that your way may be known in all the earth. Lord, I ask, I ask that you would help us to be a church where the sun never sets on our ministry because we're supporting and caring for ministries and missionaries from neighborhoods to nations. And Lord, I pray that today as we read your word that you would challenge our hearts. Holy Spirit, would you be the teacher that we need to understand your word and to rightly apply it to our lives today? Now let me invite you to also pray something similar, asking God to teach you through his word and that you would grow in your understanding of love and glory today. Would you pray and ask him that now?
Would you also take just a moment to pray for me as I open up God's beautiful word that I would communicate in a way that lifts his name high, but also calls us to the change that Jesus is wanting to do in our hearts and our lives. Would you pray for me now? Lord, would you do a miracle in each one of our lives today? Help us to understand your word and believe what it says. Lord, would you help us to apply it rightly to our lives that your name will be glorified. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, we'll be in verse 31 of John 13. And this is what the word of the Lord says. When he had gone out, now pause in here real quick, that he is Judas. We talked about it last week. This is the, the last night before Jesus would go to the cross, before he'd be betrayed, and Judas has gone out to do that betrayal, right? Now that Judas has left the room, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, Yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me after. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. This is the word of God. Now this short passage that we're looking at today it's an important passage, right? These are some of the last words that Jesus spoke before he went to the cross. And he points to two main things in this passage today. And the first that I want us to see is that Jesus is the motive, the model, and the means for our love. Jesus is the motive, the model, and the means for our love. Now, this first verse that I read, verse 31, it's honestly, it's hard to read. Because it talks about glory and glorified so much. Like you read it and you're like, oh my goodness. I mean, five times in one verse, Jesus is going to say glorified or glory or glorified. Like he just keeps saying it over and over and over again. Now this is, this is super important to us in understanding. Because there's confusion about what love is in our world and in our culture. What's the target? What's the point? What's the purpose of love? And Jesus is going to start this section where he's going to talk and call us to love. And he's going to start with the motive behind it. To glorify God. To glorify God. You see, God has created us to be beings that love. We, we, that was his plan all along, that we would love something. And yet when God created us in his image to love and to worship him and to love other people perfectly, we broke that by sinning against God. We broke that fellowship. So now, in our culture, we still continue to love. We just love in the wrong directions. 
mean, some people would say, well, that person's not very loving. Oh, they're very loving. We all love something. It just might be that they are directing their love towards themselves. You see, we might say that person is not loving, but they're very loving. They're just loving the wrong things. Jesus in this moment is saying, our love should be directed, should be motivated by the glory of God. What honors God most? What gives God the most glory? What lifts his name high? That's what our love should be aimed and directed at. That's what we give our lives to. And Jesus dives into this challenge to to love by saying it starts with the glory of God. And then he says, I'm going to give you a new commandment. I'm going to give you this new commandment that's going to help you to glorify God as the Son has glorified the Father. Now it's, it's a little humorous at this point because Jesus is like, I'm going to give you a new commandment. But if you read the pages of the Bible and you started to count the commandments in the Old Testament, there are 16, 613 commandments. 613 commandments that are found in the Old Testament. And Jesus is going to show up here and say, hey, I've got another commandment for you. I've got a new commandment for you. And I just imagine this moment. I don't know what it looked like, but I can imagine this moment where John's like, a new commandment? Okay, this is important. Like, man, let's get a piece of paper out. Let's get our pen. Hey, Matthew, you're probably going to want to write this down too. Mark, make sure you get ready. This is, this is important. It's a big deal. We're gonna, there's a new commandment that Jesus is going to give us. Let's, let's listen up, right? Let's, let's write this down. And Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, to love. To love. I mean, that seems so anticlimactic, right? And almost I wonder if the disciples are like, what are you talking about, a new commandment? This isn't a new commandment. Leviticus, I think it's chapter 19, it says, love uh, your neighbor as you love yourself. That's the Old Testament. That's Leviticus. That's been hundreds of years before Jesus comes up here and he's like, I'm going to give you a new commandment. What are you talking about? Jesus, you've already said, when somebody said, what's the greatest commandment? You said to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, you've already said this. So what are you talking about a new commandment? There's no new commandment here. At least that's what it seems to be. So what makes this a new commandment? Jesus. Jesus is what makes this a new commandment. Because Jesus is the motivation for our love. If you look back at this passage in 34, verse 34, it says, this is a new commandment, to love as I have loved you. That's what's new. That's what's different about this. Jesus is the motivation. He's the one that drives our love. He's the one we look at and say we want to love like him. Now, the reason why this is new is because if you're listening carefully, both in Leviticus 19 and then in Matthew 22, when Jesus says these are the greatest commands, what does it say to love like? It says, love others as you love who? Yourself. That's what both Leviticus and Matthew 22 says. Love your neighbor as yourself. So you would look at your life and say, you know what? If I'm cold, I want a jacket. So if somebody's cold, I want to serve them and love them by giving them a jacket. I love to to buy things for myself 
And so I look at somebody else and I think, how can I serve and love them by sacrificing to purchase something or to give something to them, to be generous to them, right? And what I love is God's graciousness in this moment. God knows our hearts are bent, right? He knows it. And in this moment, our hearts are bent towards selfishness. And God throughout his words like, okay, I know I'm calling you to love, but your broken heart and your bent heart is bent towards selfishness. So where I'm going to start you is for you to understand how you love yourself and how selfish you are. Take that and stop loving yourself and use that as a model to love other people, right? That's where God starts in step one. But then Jesus comes on the scene. He's like, I've got a new commandment. Stop loving like you love yourself and instead love as I have loved you. This is incredibly new. This is incredibly new. This is pointing to Jesus as our model. We love as he has loved us. That's why we love. That's how we love. So it's not just that we love to glorify God. We look to Jesus and we're like, how do we model our life like that? We look to him and let him motivate us because he has loved us. But then he's our model. He's our example of how we love. Now there's a bunch of places we could turn to in the scriptures just to highlight different ways that Christ has loved us. But there's two I want to point to today. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 2 says this, walk in love as Christ has loved us and gave himself up for us. Romans chapter 5 verse 8, that God displayed his own love for us that while we were still sinners, he died for us. Both of those verses could be kind of summed up in two words. The first is sacrifice. The second is grace. This is what the love of Jesus Christ looks like. This is the love that he is calling us to model and reflect in our life. Sacrifice and grace. You see, it says walk in love as Christ has loved us and gave himself for us. This is sacrifice. This is sacrifice. Jesus gave his life. We have lived through love and sacrifice for us. The reality is if we're going to love and serve other people, it is going to cost us something. It's going to cost us something. So often we're like, we'll love as long as it's convenient for us. As long as it fits our schedule. As long as it fits our desires. And Jesus in this moment with his entire life is showing us that love requires sacrifice. True Christian love requires sacrifice sacrifice. But not just sacrifice, it requires grace. In that Romans passage, it says, God displayed his own love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, we didn't earn his love, we didn't deserve his love, we were sinners. Other places in the Bible will call us enemies of God in this moment. You see, it is easy for us to look at people who already love us and say, well, I'll love them. Those that pat me on the back, I'll pat them on the back. That's easy for me to do, to love those who are lovely. But Jesus in this passage is saying, no, 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 no. I'm calling you to love like me. I'm calling you to love those who aren't lovely. I'm calling you to, to love those who really rub you the wrong way and get on your nerves, Right? Those who are extra grace required. I'm calling you to love those people. If we're going to love like Christ, that's what it looks like because that's how he has loved us. 
Jesus loved us first when we didn't love him. Jesus did not wait until you were lovable to love you. He didn't do it. He loved you in spite of your faults and your failures and your warts and your sins. Your selfishness. He came and he sacrificed for you. So would you reflect that kind of love as well? To love as Christ has loved. Even the unlovable. Now this should lead you to the question, if you're really thinking about this and trying to apply this to your life, how in the world is this even possible? How do we even do this, right? Well, Jesus is also the means by which we love in this way. He didn't just look at us and say, love like me. He's going to, in chapter 15, say, the only way that you can love like me, the only way you can model this example, the only way that you're going to be able to love and glorify God is that I would empower you and strengthen you. If you look in your Bible, it's in my Bible, just one page over to John chapter 15. It's interesting. In verses 12 and 13, it says this. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. This is that sacrificial love. This is that grace-filled love. And you say, yes, I I see that, that's great, but how do I do that? When John 15, verse 9, Jesus says, this is how you're going to do it. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Abide in my love. We'll dive into it deeper when we get to John 15 in a couple weeks. But you have to understand that truth this morning if you're going to apply this passage to your life and live out a life of love. It's one that you look at Christ and allow your life to be connected to him. For apart from him, you can do nothing. Apart from him, you can do nothing. But when you're connected with him, you can have that kind of love that lays down your life, that sacrifices and gives. You can think about it like this. An appliance that's not plugged into the wall can do Nothing, right? Nothing. It just sits there. But when you take an appliance and you take that plug and you put it into the outlet and the power flows through it, then that appliance can do a lot of amazing things, right? Has capacity to do great things, helpful things when it's plugged into that power source. And the same thing is true for you and I. That unless we're connected to Christ, unless we believe in Him, unless we have experienced His forgiveness and His love in our lives, then we will never have the power to love others as he has loved us. But by God's grace and his mercy, he's allowed us to be connected to him. Through his sacrifice and death on the cross for our sins, now we have the motivation for our love. Because it's Christ. We have the model for our love because it's in the life of Christ. And we have the means by which we love. It's found as we abide in Christ. It's all about Him. So applying this passage, this portion of the passage to our lives, we need to do this both collectively as a church, but also individually. And church, this week as I'm thinking about this passage, and I'm praying this passage for us as a church, and praying it for you individually, one, I want to encourage you this morning. Because collectively as a church, we've been able to, to do some of these things, to reflect Christ in our community. In our neighborhood. It's been amazing. 
Just a few weeks ago, we did our, our city serve, where we reached out and we served several local schools in several areas within our community. And because of us, because of you sacrificing of your finances to help support some of these schools, sacrificing your Saturday to, to, to go out and serve in these schools, when the school board met together, they actually talked about our church and how we served in these schools. They mentioned us because we were able to serve them. Our impact as we pray for these teachers and love these schools is great. It's reflecting the way Christ has sacrificed in us in the smallest of ways. But not only that, a few weeks ago, I'm excited what's happening a few weeks from now. As a church, there's been several men in this church that have been going out to the Cabarrus Development Center, which is a detention center here in our city for, for youth. And they've been serving over the last few years, coming there throughout the weeks and sharing devotions and telling people about Christ and loving all these students in this development center. And God, through his goodness and through his grace, has opened up the door wide. And so the second week in October, we're going to get to start streaming our services in that detention center for these kids to be able to watch our services on Sunday morning. And I'm excited about what God is doing. And that all started because of your faithfulness to pray the faithfulness of the men in this church to go and to serve in these places. All of this is us in small ways reflecting God's love for us to our community. So church, we are far from done. Far from done. God has amazing things for us this coming up year. And I would just encourage you and invite you to take those steps of faith to serve, to sacrifice of your, your time and your finances of your prayers to be a part of what's going on collectively as a church as we love and we serve our neighborhoods. But it's also got to start with you individually. Individually. You've got to look at the people in your life that seem unlovable. Those people who are hard to get to know and hard to care for, and you have to take that extra step to love and to care for them. Whether that's a coworker or a family member, You'll be amazed at what God is doing in and around you that you're not even aware of. And God has called you individually to play your part in your neighborhood, to play your part in your family, to play a part with your sports team, right? Would you be a light there for the glory of Jesus Christ? Would you show your gracious compassion as Christ has shown gracious compassion upon you? So may we collectively and individually love Jesus Christ by loving others. Let me do that this year. Now, before we get to the second point, I've got to say this because this is important. I am absolutely certain, without a shadow of doubt, that God has called us to love. But our love cannot atone for our sins. And our love cannot atone for other people's sins. We can't do it. We can't do it. It's only the love of Christ that atones for our sins. And Jesus is going to say, that's what you're putting on display. Not your name, not your fame, not how great your love is, but how great my love is. Because my love is the only love that can forgive and atone for sins. So Jesus is going to say that we have to love because in our love we'll display the one who has a deep love that can forgive all sins. And that's why Jesus is going to tell them this. This is the second point. The way that we love displays the one that we love. The way that we love displays the one that we love. Jesus makes a very important statement in verse 35. 
He says, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples. Now, Jesus is helping his disciples in this moment, the ones that are sitting there with him, because he's like, hey guys, people have known you're my disciples because you followed me around, you know, for, for three years, three and a half years. You followed me around, and because you've been in my presence and you've been around me and you've walked behind me, people have known, oh, that's a disciple of Jesus. And now he's saying, I'm going to the cross, I'm going to die, and I'm going to go to heaven. And so people aren't going to know that you're my disciples anymore because you followed behind me in a train, right? There's a new mark that people are going to look at and say, I know that person is a disciple of Christ. Now does, now does Jesus say that the whole world is going to know you're my disciples by how you vote? By the t-shirt that you wear, that's how people are going to know you're my disciples. By the fish that's on the back of your car. Is that how people are going to know that we are his disciples? No. It's not even by the way that we can eloquently speak about theology or how beautiful our church buildings can be. That's not how people are going to know that we are disciples of Jesus Christ. It's by how we love. That's the mark of a disciple of Jesus Christ. He says, if you love one another, if you want to put the gospel on display, then you have to love, and you have to love well. Love is not based on a warm feeling, right? Sometimes it's hard and it's difficult. Love is based on laying down your life for others. And church, if we want to change the world, because I do, I believe that this church, God has called to impact the world, not just our city, but the world. The way we're going to do that is through love, like Christ has loved us. That's the mark in which he's called us to. Now this moment after Jesus says this takes a, a weird gear change, right? Peter speaks up. And I guess Peter's like, well, it's been a few minutes since I've talked, so I feel like I've got to say something again. Because Peter speaks more than any of the other disciples, and he's always talking. And what's interesting, if you notice this, in verse 36 it says, Simon Peter said to him, now, what's interesting about that to me is the Gospel of John is the only gospel that does this. All throughout the Gospel of John, when it talks about Peter, it always calls him Simon Peter. Now, the, the commentators and things like that that you would read over this is saying that John highly says because John knew Peter before he was a disciple of Christ. John knew Peter's past. And throughout the whole book of John, what he's saying is, hey, I remember Peter, Simon's rough, rugged past. But now I also know him as Peter, as Jesus has changed his name. And so he's Simon Peter, a man who has a lot of struggles and a man who has been changed by Christ. So even here again, he talks about him as Simon Peter. And that's a great way to think of Peter's comments. Many of Peter's comments, you say things and you're like, man, that was Peter speaking right there. And other times you're like, hmm, that's a little bit of Simon, right? That's a little bit of old, old, old human Simon there that's in there. Because there's times where Peter will speak up and you're like, yes, Peter, that's right. I mean, where, where he'll speak up and say, Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then before the end of that chapter finishes up, he's going to look at Jesus and say, you can't die on the cross. You can't, that's not what you're meant to do. Right? You're like, wait a second, you just said he's God, but then you're telling him he can't do what he thinks he should do. He should do what you think you should do, Right? And then Peter's also the one that takes a step of faith when they, they're out there on, in, the, in, in the boats and the storm hits. They see Jesus walking on the water. He's like, I want to walk on the water too. And through faith, he gets out and he walks on the water. But then Simon comes out of him. 
Simon comes out in him and he starts to doubt, struggle with his faith. He starts to sink. Peter's life is marked by this Simon-Peter approach. And that's exactly what's going to happen in this moment. There's a good good moment here where he wants to follow Christ, and yet we're going to see that he will later deny Christ. See, this is a weird gear change because apparently Peter had only heard the final sentence of what Jesus said and missed his famous new commandment to love as I have loved you. And so he moves back and he's like, wait a second, Jesus, you said you're going somewhere that I can't go? What do you mean I can't go? I'll go anywhere with you. I'll lay down my life for you. I'll go all these places. And Jesus is like, really? Really? You'll lay down your life for me? See, Jesus says in this moment, Peter, you can't go where I'm going. But notice he says in verse 36, but afterwards you will follow. Where is Jesus going? See, Jesus had to do this alone and nobody could go with him. Because Jesus is coming to make a way for us to God. You see, when sin entered in this world, this world was cursed by that sin and now there's thorns and thistles that have made this world like a spiritual jungle so when we look at our world all we see is this and we're stuck in this rugged jungle with thorns and thistles and all these things and we're lost we have no map we have no compass we have no direction there's no way for us to get through this jungle and to get to God so what Jesus is saying is I have come And what I'm going to do is I'm going to make the way by going to the cross and dying for your sins. I am going to become the way, which we'll see next week in John 14, where he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Where Jesus is going to come and die on the cross for our sins to pave the way. And then as he paves the way for us to get to God and he ascends to heaven, then he's going to say, hey, come, fall after me. And as he paves the way, he's going to take that spiritual jungle of thorns and thistles and he's going to make it look like this. He's going to pave the way so that we can walk upon that narrow road and come to him. So Jesus is looking at Peter in this moment. He's saying, Peter, you can't come because you can't pay the price that I'm going to pay. You can't lay down your life to atone for sins because you are a sinner. But I am sinless. And so I am going to go and lay down my life And as I do that, I'm going to cut that path so now you can follow behind me on this way to salvation in heaven. This is what Jesus does in this moment. Now what's interesting is Peter makes that bold statement, I will lay down my life for you. I'll do it. If you go look in the other Gospels, though, they build out the story a little bit more. In the Gospel of Matthew, it's fascinating because there's arrogance behind the statement that Peter makes. Peter, if you go read Matthew's gospel, and it talks about this moment. It says that that Peter actually leans in and says to Jesus, all these other guys, they'll leave you. They'll forsake you. But not me. Not me. Peter in this moment has this arrogance and has this pride to say, hey, I don't need all these other people. You don't need all these other people. These are the problem, right? These disciples, these are the people that have the issues. They're the weak, frail, fragile ones who don't have faith. But not me. Not me. Jesus, I'm the one that'll stick by you. I'm the one that'll do this. There's this 
arrogance that leads to him saying, I don't need other people. I'm fine in my isolation. I can do this and I'll go and I'll die for you alone. But what you find is that's not true. Jesus looks at him in this moment and knows his heart. He says, Peter, you're in the same group as them. You too will not just flee, but you'll deny me. Not once, not twice, three times, and you'll do it to a little girl who asks you, are you a disciple of Jesus? You'll do it. Now what's sad about this is many of us fall into the pride and arrogance that Peter fell into in this moment. We think that we can do this Christian life without other people. God, all those other people are weak. Everybody goes to church, everybody's in a small group. All those people are weak and they need other people to lift them up, but not me. Like, I read the Bible. Like, I know you. I'm closer to you than all these other people. So, Jesus, you and I will run this together because I'll never leave you and I'll never deny you. And in our arrogance, we walk the same path of Peter where we deny Jesus. You see, because this is not how Jesus has created us nor called us to live. He has called us to be in a community, that we would walk together, that we would encourage one another to love well when we don't want to love, to sacrifice when we would rather be greedy, to be gracious when we would rather have resentment. We need one another. You can think about it like this. I, I don't know how many of you guys are bikers, but I'm sure you've seen these marathon endurance races that bikers do, where they literally, they'll get out and they'll bike for days. Now, because I don't know all this stuff with biking, I'm, I'm asking a question, why in the world is there a big clump of these bikers, right? Like, why do they get all clumped together? Which I found out this week has actually got a term for it. It's called the Peloton. These people ride in big bunches like this. Why? Like, shouldn't somebody say, I'm going to run out front? I need to get in front of this mass so I can win the race? What's fascinating is that some people, every race will try to do that. If I can, re- if I can get out in front of everybody and win this leg of the race, then I'll win. You find out as they kind of ride off on their own and they're isolated and they're alone, they get exhausted a lot more quickly because they're having all the wind that hits them. They're riding there in isolation, not encouraging one another. And yet this massive group of people, this peloton, if you actually get into the inner circle of this, many of these people in the inner circle aren't even pedaling. They're just there riding in the, in the, in the drift behind everybody else. And they'll even take turns with who's riding in the front, who's taking the brunt of the, the wind and the resistance, and they'll ride together until that last leg of the race where they'll spread out to see who wins the race. Now, in this group, this peloton, you got to think, especially if you look at the people in the middle, that's a little inconvenient, right? Like you're probably bumping into people, probably rubbing against somebody a little bit here and there. You're probably like, man, that guy's really bothering me, Right? And yet it's extremely helpful as you run that race. The same for us is true as a church. There's times when we get together as a community and you're like, this is hard. This is difficult. This takes grace. This takes sacrifice. Oh, that person rubbed me the wrong way. I'd rather just pull back. But God has called us to be a part of a community that we could love one another well. And that a lost world would look and say, And how they love and care for one another is vastly different than anything else I've ever seen. It's vastly different. You see, here at our church, we have something called small groups. And that's what God is calling us to be a part of, where we do life together. We support one another. We 
pray for one another. We care for one another. And I've said it many times, and I'll say it again. The greatest life change you're going to have is not going to be in rows in, in here on Sunday morning. It's going to be in circles throughout the week as you do life with one another. And I was talking to a guy this week. He's like, it's hard. My kids play sports throughout the week. It's hard for me to take another night to, to go and be a part of a small group. And I get it. I do. I'm doing the same thing. It's hard and it's difficult. But it's better. It's better. <laughs> and that's what Christ is calling us to. May we not be like Peter in this moment to think, man, I don't need all these other people. I'm good. It's just you and me, Jesus. And Jesus look at us and say, you're going to deny me. You're going to deny me. Now, even after the denial, Peter comes back and he gets in this community and is strengthened again through Christ. And Christ would look at him and he would say, Peter, do you really love me? Three times. And Peter would say, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then what does he say? Then feed my sheep. Be a part of this community. Be a part of the people of God. Love them and care for them well. So church, may we not just say well, we're going to love on our own individually. May we love together as a community. May we love and support each other well. May the pride of Peter not be in our heart too. That would keep us from being a part of a Christian community. Or even worse, that that pride would keep us from believing in Jesus Christ because we think our good works are enough to save us. May we look to Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith, and trust in him today. Bow your heads with me. Jesus, we thank you that you gave us the example of love, but you also gave us the gift of salvation. God, we thank you for the promise of your spirit that would strengthen us and equip us to love well. So Lord, help us, I pray. Help us to love well together as a community of believers. God, I pray for our small groups that meet throughout the week that they would love well and care for one another as they follow after you. Lord, I pray and I ask that this commandment, this new commandment to love as you have loved would be upon our hearts today and this week, that we would love with a sacrificial love, that we would love with a gracious love, because, Lord, that's how you have loved us. And, Lord, as we love, not as the world has loved, not as our culture proclaims love is, but, Lord, as you displayed love, I ask that we would hear those words from those who are on the outside. How do they love like that? Or there's no doubt that that person is a follower of Jesus because of the way they love. God, may that be true of us. That's what you've called us to do in your word. So, Lord, help us as a church, as, as a community, as individuals to love as you have loved us. And it's through that love we pray. Amen.